Before we begin, we should mention that this episode covers the violent and inhumane history of African enslavement in Canada. Please listen with care. When we talk about enslavement, we all have these images embedded in our minds of Black people working to exhaustion under a blazing sun in the cotton fields of our Southern neighbors. But if I tell you that there was slavery in Canada too, how would you react? Surprised? If it's news to you, I know you probably think, why am I only learning about this now? Well, you're not alone. Even today, most Canadians are still unaware of our slaveholding past. For my part, I was an adult when I first learned about Black enslavement in Canada. When I was a teenager, this was not taught in high school. It's this lack of education in the subject matter that motivated Ayanna Oshun in 2010 to create the documentary Black Hands. Ayanna is cousins with Josiane Blanc, who put together this podcast episode in French and English. Josiane called up her cousin to ask Ayanna when she learned about slavery in Canada. We're talking about the late 2000s. I think it was around 2006, 2007 or so. And what I found most profoundly shocking was that the story was hidden from me when it was a story that was actually known. When I say they hid it from me, I don't mean me specifically. I mean they hid the story from all Quebecers. I remember being shocked too. My year spent in history class with Samuel de Champlain and Jacques Cartier without the slightest mention of this important element of our past. And yet, in the days of New France, the enslavement of Black and First Nations people was a common practice. You see, there was a system called the transatlantic slave trade in which European colonizers captured and transported Africans across the Atlantic Ocean to places like Europe, North and South America, and the Caribbean. Enslaved Africans were even brought to New France, which meant that for a period of about 200 years, a lot of what is now Central and Eastern Canada was slave territory. Between 1629 and 1834, there were more than 4,000 people enslaved, mostly in what is now Quebec. But enslavement was not as prominent here as it was in other places. As a French and later British colony, New France participated in the fur trade, which was operated by small groups of French colonizers and indigenous peoples, and did not require slave labor. In the British colonies in the Americas, slave labor was an integral part of the economy, and Black Africans were forced to work on plantations to harvest crops such as cotton, sugarcane, and tobacco. Most Black enslaved people in what is now Quebec were forced to live and work in family homes, mostly in Quebec City or Montreal. But as time went on, enslavement also appeared across the British and French colonies that became Canada. Today, I'm gonna tell you the story of one woman in particular, a Black enslaved woman named Marie-Joseph Angelique. 
Before Ayanna made her documentary about slavery in New France, she produced a play about Marie-Joseph Angelique. In her documentary, which was inspired by the play, Ayanna brought Angelique back to life, playing her role in reenactments. One of the reasons I wanted to play Angelique is that she's not the typical slave that you hear about, right? You know, there's a whole trend of movies we call slavery films, movies about slavery where the slaves are portrayed as victims. Marie-Joseph's story has become larger than life. She was an outspoken enslaved woman who lived in Montreal in the early 1700s. She acted out against her forced enslavement and stood up to her French owner. As a result, she is said to have started a fire. Today, I'll tell you how, in 1734, this enslaved woman became known to all in Montreal. My name is Garvia Bailey. You're listening to Strong and Free, a podcast from Historica Canada. Because Black history is Canadian history. In order to understand Angelique's story, we decided to turn to two historians who have both dedicated several years of their lives to carefully studying the archival records. My name is Denise Beaugrand-Champagne. I worked as an archivist at the National Library and Archives of Quebec and Montreal. It was during a research project on the construction of Montreal that Denise discovered the archives of the court trial of Marie-Joseph Angelique. Marie-Joseph Angelique was on trial for starting a fire that burned down a huge portion of old Montreal in 1734. But before Marie-Joseph was accused of setting a fire, before she even arrived in New France, records show she was born in Portugal. The next piece of information we have on the historical record is that a Dutch man by the name of Nicholas Bloch owned her and brought her to New York. It's not clear how she arrived in New France, but we do know that she was sold to a man named François Poulain de Francheville and wound up in Montreal as a 20-year-old enslaved woman working in their home. But what was she like as a person? Through her research, Denise has gotten a sense of how Angelique was perceived. This is a woman who's not afraid to give her opinion. She's not an introvert, not an introvert at all. And she gives her opinion. She talks back to her mistress if things don't suit her. Afua Cooper is also a historian who agrees with this assessment of Angelique. My name is Afua Cooper. I am a historian, I'm a poet, I teach in the departments of history and sociology and social anthropology at Dalhousie University, um, where I'm, uh, I coordinate the Black and African Diaspora Studies minor. 
according to Madame de Francheville, Angelique was not an obedient slave. She was, she didn't make Madame's life easy from the point of view of, of Madame. She threatened her. She told the woman she was going to burn her. She called the woman a in front of her face. A woman, an enslaved black woman in Montreal with a personality like Angelique, it upsets people. It's very upsetting. People don't like it. By the time of the fire, Angelique had had an ongoing relationship with an enslaved man and had buried three of their children. She suffered great loss. If we want to understand her better and the slavery that existed in what is now Quebec, let's take it back to the beginning and set the scene of a society during the slave trade in Marie-Joseph Angelique's lifetime. So, as far as Marie-Joseph Angelique's early life, you have to understand that there were no newspapers at the time, that all we have, all we know about Angelique's story is contained in the record of her trial in 1734. This is how we know that when she arrived in New France, Marie-Joseph Angelique was 20 years old. She was enslaved by Monsieur de Francheville, who owned two houses, a farm outside of Montreal, and a major ironworks near Trois-Rivières. But eight years later, in November 1733, Francois de Francheville died. His widow uh, became, you know, the legal owner of Marie-Jo de Francheville. And that's kind of when um, the story picks up momentum, because upon the death of Sir Francheville, Angelique informed her mistress that she was leaving because she said Sir Francheville had promised her her freedom. Well, the mistress said, no, that's not going to happen. You can't leave. I own you. Angelique threatens, and this is according to the trial uh, records, she said she's going to run away. She hates Montreal. She hates Canada. She wants to go back to her country, which is Portugal. It's impossible to know if Monsieur de Francheville had really promised her freedom, but there are a few things we know for certain, including that there was a fire, not the big one that burned down old Montreal, we'll get to that one in a minute, but a little one in a home where Angelique was staying. It happened three months after Marie-Joseph Angelique's owner, Monsieur de Francheville, died. It was February, 1734. Angelique was staying in the home of Madame de Francheville's brother-in-law, Alexis Lemoyne Monnier. Marie-Joseph slept in a large room where there was a wood stove that she had filled with wood chips, and she had laid down close to the stove. At some point in the night, a member of Monsieur Lemoyne Monnier's family saw that Angélique had fallen asleep near the stove and that she had put in too much wood so that the stove was overloaded. And there were sparks that had fallen near her blanket, which had caught fire. At the same time, or at more or less the same time, the place where the men were lying had also caught fire. Who were these men? One of them was Marie-Joseph Angelique's lover, Claude Thibault. 
Claude Thibault also worked for Madame de Francheville, doing small jobs in her house. The next morning, when everyone woke up, Claude Thibault and Angélique were missing. Let me tell you about Claude Thibault, Marie-Joseph Angélique's lover. He was a white man, a former French prisoner sent here by the king and put on contract to spend three years in the icy winters of New France. Claude Thibault had only one desire, to return to his native France. Claude and Angélique ran away together. She wanted to escape back to Portugal. This was in February 1734, and it was... Um, they said they were going to, to New England or New York. So they fled and they were able to stay out, to stay away for, for two, two weeks. And then they were caught. So that happened. And like I said, when they returned, when the constables returned them to Montreal, Thibault was lodged in prison. Angelique was um, returned to her mistress's house. Angelique kept visiting Thibault in prison. She would bring him food. Claude Thibault was put in prison on March 4th, 1734, where he stayed for one month. Upon his release from prison, Claude visited Madame de Francheville, who was not happy to see him and told him never to return. She says to him, don't ever come back here again. She chases him away. And she's very, very, very clear about it. She never wants him to set foot in her house again. And she tells him that she sold Angélique. That's right. Madame de Francheville had made a deal and sold Angélique. She didn't want to be sold. When she was returned to Montreal, she said to her mistress, I'm going to behave myself. Please don't sell me. Uh, You know, I'll be good. I'll be good. Don't sell me. I don't want to be sold again. Well, Madame sold her. Madame told her in April, she said, I've sold you. It's a done deal. You're going, you're going to Quebec City in April. As soon as the ice breaks and the fishing fleet leaves, I'm sending you with the fishing fleet. That was the scene in the De Francheville household. There was a lot of conflict, which brings us up to the day of the big fire. So, what we know is that April 10th is a Saturday. And Madame de Francheville is way, way uptown in church for evening prayers. And Marie-Joseph Angélique is on the doorstep. She's watching the two little girls. She's watching them play. She's here with an enslaved indigenous woman who lives in the house next door to the west. And then, all of a sudden, someone shouts fire. And from there, everything unfolds very quickly. And so the, the fire happened very fast. I said shingles were flying through the air and were landed on other people's roofs. So the fire started in, in Therese de Coin's house where Angelique was domiciled. To clarify, Therese de Coin is Madame de Francheville, which is her married name. So a fire started. And it spread to the rest of um, the merchant's quarter in Montreal and burned down the merchant's quarter and also the hospital um, and many other buildings. And three hours later, so around 10, 11 o'clock at night, 46 houses have been destroyed. Soon, a rumor began to circulate in the city that it was Claude Thibault and Angélique who set fire to Madame de Francheville's house. 
Here, it's important to note that Angelique did not run away that night. She stayed to help people fleeing the fire. And then the next day... Constables came, they arrested her on the morning of April 11th. She, uh, it, she was remanded in custody. Then they took her to court the following morning, and she was charged with the fire. However, no one saw Marie-Joseph Angelique set the fire. La loi criminelle. The Criminal Act of 1670. In this document, it clearly says that you can arrest, accuse, and convict someone purely on the basis of a public rumor. And that's what happened. The whole court case is based on this rumor. The day after the fire, Angelique is thrown into prison. And where is Claude Thibault in all this? Thibault was officially charged. Thibault was seen as an accomplice. You know, throughout all of this, he was seen as an accomplice. And then there was a, a document issued for his arrest, but he had disappeared by then. So they're looking for Claude Thibault in order to arrest him. But no one knows where he is. Thus begins Angelique's trial. And then this very long trial begins, which is quite unusual in New France, in Montreal. Trials in New France are very swift. It's a matter of one day, two days, and it's done. They, they brought in uh, at least 24 people, uh, witnesses, um, who said, yeah, we saw her, we saw her looking at the roof. And I said earlier, one said she told me she was going to burn her mistress. She was going go to go back to Portugal. Another one said she hated Canada. Tout le monde dit la même phrase. Everyone uses the same phrase. I don't know who set fire to Madame de Francheville's house, but I think, I suspect, or I'm certain it was Angélique. It's the same phrase every time. Then, after several inconclusive weeks, a new witness is brought to testify against Angelique. A five-year-old girl was brought before the judge. In New France, at that time, even children could testify. Marie-Amable Lemoine-Monnière was brought before the judge by her father, Alexis Lemoine-Monnière, who was Madame de Francheville's brother-in-law. Monnier is the brother-in-law in whose home the first little fire occurred. Remember when Marie-Joseph Angelique filled the wood stove and fell asleep, and in the morning she and her lover, Claude, had run away? Yeah, that was Monnier's home. And now his five-year-old daughter was put forward as a witness in the trial, Marie Amable. And she gave evidence that... She saw Angelique with the stove and Angelique was looking at the roof and so on and so forth. The little girl declares that she saw Angelique climb up to the attic with a small shovel and some embers. Confronted with this new testimony, Angelique's reaction is all the more surprising. She leans toward the little girl. She looks. Angelique looks in her apron for a little piece of sugar and she offers it to Amable and she says Oh, you poor thing, who put you up to this? You, you're you such a sweet thing. Do you do you want a candy or something? Do you want a, a, a sweet 
C'est fascinant, non? It's fascinating, isn't it? She doesn't say, you're a liar, it didn't happen, you didn't see me because I didn't do it. Nothing, nothing, nothing. She leans towards Marie Amable. She says, who told you to say that? And that's it. The trial ends there. With the late entry of a witness who was five years old. It was to prove her guilt. It was to cement her guilt. It's She was enslaved. She was... It's not like anyone had sympathy for her. No one had sympathy for her. And she had to to be defending herself. It was Marie-Joseph Angelique against the world. Despite the little evidence available, Marie-Joseph Angelique was found guilty and sentenced. A note here that the following section includes descriptions about the brutality of enslavement. They said that she should be burnt alive. That she be forced to walk past the parish church carrying a torch, that she be paraded through the streets of Montreal in a cart filled with filthy garbage. But according to the laws in New France, when a person is found guilty, the case must also be heard in the Supreme Court before it is finalized. When she went to the high court in Quebec City, they said, no, that's too barbaric. Don't burn her alive. Um, hung her first, and then um, and then burned the body, and then cast the ashes to the four winds. But on the other hand, they'll keep the step of torture with the boot. Let's pause here. These boots are very hard pieces of wood, most likely oak, which they'd attach to each side of your leg, from the ankle to the knee, Uh, Then uh, they would drive a wedge, a pointed piece of wood, inside the board, um, that is between the oak board and the knee. And the executioner would hit the wedge with a mallet. Angelique is sent back to Montreal. And on June 21st, shortly before her death, She was tortured in her prison cell to extract a confession. It was a brutal form of torture. Marie-Joseph Angelique maintained her innocence up until the very first hammer blow, when she quickly confessed. She said, yes, 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 it's me. Yes, it's me. Anyone is going to say, yes, it's me. In other words, the pain is so intense that before you pass out, you're going to say, yes, it's me, right? Despite her confession, they continued to torture her until she screamed that she wanted to die. They wanted her to name an accomplice, but she never did, maintaining that it was her alone who set the fire. Marie-Joseph Angelique was then paraded through the streets of Montreal in a white chemise with the word arsonist embroidered on it while holding a torch to face her execution. And the executioner? He was also an enslaved Black man condemned to work for the colonial government. His name was Mathieu Levaillé. So, at that point, Marie-Joseph Angélique was hoisted up. She couldn't walk. A soldier had to pull her up the ladder to the gallows. And she was hanged. And all this in front of an enormous crowd. There was no entertainment in New France. That was the entertainment. And then they took down her body 
and burned it. This is how Angelique died. While no one witnessed the start of the fire, many Montrealers witnessed her execution. The trial transcripts give us one of the earliest examples of Quebec's history of enslavement. That we know. But will we ever truly know, without a doubt, that Angelique set the fire for which she was blamed? As a historian, I cannot say 100% she did. I can tell you um, some reasons why I think she would do such a thing. I know that she had enough reason to set fire to the city, to set fire to her mistress's house. She hated the woman. Slavery is, is an awful thing. It's, it's brutal. It, it's not just the, the dehumanization of the, of the body. It's, it's also the, the killing of the, the mind. It, it drives you mad to think you lose your children, you don't own your body, you're enslaved, you're in bondage to someone else who owns your nights, your days, your minutes, your hours. You know, you don't have to be a psychologist to to know this, to realize this, to think this. That Angelique, in my estimation, uh, became unhinged, or as the song said, I, she became undone. But for Denise, there is no doubt that Marie-Joseph Angelique did not set fire to the city of Montreal that night. People were angry that they had lost their homes. They had to find someone, a scapegoat, who would pay for that. According to Denise, the fire was an accident. A chimney fire started in the house next door, where a slave named Marie Manon lived. On the evening of the fire, it was very hot, and Marie Manon was, according to the record, the only one who reported using her chimney to cook. And so, when someone shouted fire, Instead of going out the front door to see the soldier who was shouting fire, to see where he has pointing to, she went out the back and she looked at her own chimney to see if the flames were coming out of there. In the end, whether Angelique set the fire or not, Denise and Afua both agree that it's important to denounce the inhumane treatment of Angelique and the importance of making this history known to all Canadians. I mean, Ayanna, the filmmaker we heard from off the top, a Black woman who spent her whole childhood in the Quebec educational system, she never knew about slavery in Canada. All of us, in this episode, only learned of slavery in Canada as adults. How has it remained so hidden to all of us? We, we just have to redo the curriculum and make it mandatory. Marie-Joseph Angelique is included in the curricula in several provinces today. But as Afua points out, there is a systemic issue at hand. 
In many provinces and many classrooms, the history of enslavement in Canada is little more than a historical footnote. Every 20 years, we revise the history books. We have to be present when these history books are written so that we can make sure that they talk about slavery, that they talk about Black people. If you're saying I'm a citizen and I'm saying I'm a citizen, you're saying I'm equal and I'm saying I'm equal, then let's see that reflected in the curriculum. While we look forward to Canadian Black history becoming a meaningful part of the curriculum in all provinces and territories, Canadians can also learn this piece of history from each other through grassroots projects. About 10 years ago, in the summer of 2009, Ayanna presented the last performance of her play, not far from where Angelique was hanged. What was it like for her to embody the role of Angelique? What did it mean to her? When the play ended, I remember I went back to my car and I started to cry. It's like I had this deep gratitude somewhere inside me. Some part of me was thankful for that experience thanking me for the opportunity to play that character. Somewhere in my dreams, I tell myself that it was Angelique thanking me for telling her story. I was very proud to have been able to do it and very humbled to have been able to play this character who is so much larger than life. Since 2012, adjacent to the Champ de Mars subway station in Montreal, a square now bears the name of Place Marie-Joseph-Angelique. Unfortunately, there's no plaque or description that accompanies it. There's no way of knowing why it was named in her honor. What do you think, Ayanna? After having made a play and a documentary, do you think Marie-Joseph-Angelique did it? Where I am today, did she set the fire or didn't she? Really, for me, it doesn't matter. What I actually want to highlight is the fact that at one time, there was slavery. It goes beyond knowing whether or not she was guilty, where to point the finger, who was guilty. The guilt lies with the society for enslaving a whole part of the population on the basis of their race. That's what's shameful. I agree. We need to understand slavery on a human level. There may always be a did she or didn't she question with the story of Marie-Joseph Angelique. But when it comes to the larger issue of slavery in Canada's history, there's no question there. It happened. Now, what will we do with that knowledge? Thank you for listening. Strong and Free is produced by Media Girlfriends and Historica Canada. This series is part of a larger Black history education campaign by Historica Canada. For more resources, visit historicacanada.ca. You can find Strong and Free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode was written and produced by Josiane Blanc. Senior producers are me, Garvia Bailey, and Hannah Sung. Sound design and mix by David Moreau and Gabby Clark. 
The Media Girlfriends team is rounded out by Lucius DeChose, Jeff Woodrow, and Nanaba Duncan, the founder of Media Girlfriends. Thank you to Ayana Oshun, director of Black Hands, Trial of the Arsonist Slave, and to Denise Beaugrand Champagne, historian and archivist. Denise is the author of La Procès de Marie-Joseph Angelique. And thank you to Dr. Afua Cooper, historian, poet, and professor at Dalhousie University. She is the author of The Hanging of Angelique, the untold story of Canadian slavery and the burning of old Montreal. Thank you to our script consultant, Dr. Dorothy Williams, historian and author. Thank you to Dominique Fizame and On Soul Records for the use of Dominique's song, There Is Probably Fire, written by Dominique Fizame and Jacques Giroy, published by On Soul Records and Harris and Wolf. Fact-checking by Sean Young. English versioning by Power of Babel. I'm Garvey Bailey. Thanks for listening. <laughs>